the two Michaels has taken quite a turn. Michael Spavor is seeking millions in compensation from Ottawa. He says that he was, well, lied to, I guess, and caught up in an intelligence operation being conducted by the other Michael, Michael Kovrig. He says that's why they were arrested. That's why they ended up being detained by the Chinese government for years. Now, central here is the allegation that Kovrig was actually involved in spy work on behalf of Canada, something the Canadian government has denied right from the very beginning. They've always said, no, no, no. These were trumped up, fabricated, phony charges filed by the Chinese in a revenge move based on the fact that Canada had arrested Chinese executive Meng Wanzhou on a U.S. warrant, right? A U.S. um, extradition warrant. Canada made the arrest, and you know what happened there. And then the assumption we've all been working under for all this time has been this was retaliatory and, you know, a bit of leverage by the Chinese government to try and get Hmong released. But now, appears maybe there's a lot more to this story than we first knew. Let's find out exactly what's going on here. Robert Fife, the Ottawa Bureau Chief with the Globe and Mail, has done a lot of reporting on this. It's a great story. I encourage you to look it up. Robert, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. You're welcome. Okay, so let's start with Spavor here. He he definitely, I mean, people should know this. He had pretty deep ties to North Korea, which is sort of where all of this is sort of centered on. He had deep connections, in fact, to Kim Jong-un himself, right? Yeah, he uh, was one of the few Westerners that had really great access to North Korea and the leadership. In fact, he had, there's images of him, pictures of him smoking and drinking cocktails with uh, the dictator Kim Jong Un. After the two of them had been jet skiing, he had also brought uh, former NBA uh, star Dennis Rodman to North Korea on a couple of occasions to meet uh, uh, the, the young dictator. And so he met cabinet ministers. He had a lot of access. So, from a, a Western security point of view, anything that that he any insight he could provide on Kim Jong-un and his cabinet and his ministers, and that would be highly valuable to uh, Canadian and allied security services. And so then he, he the allegations that he's making here, uh, he told Kovrig things later that came back to be used against him. He says unwittingly um, talking to Kovrig and sharing information with Kovrig sort of led him to be wrapped up into this whole espionage world. Well, his argument is that any information he shared with Michael Kovrig um, with, well, he thought he was his friend. He, Kovrig had come in to visit him a couple of times uh, when he le- was living up along the, the Chinese border with North Korea. They'd, they'd go out for drinks and dinner, and he didn't realize that the job that Kovrig had as a global security reporting program officer uh, that this any this anything that. Uh, Michael uh, Kovrig would write or find out would be uh, shared with the Canadian Security Intelligence Service and the Five Eyes Intelligence Partners, which make up the United States, Australia, Great Britain, and New Zealand and Canada. And so his his belief is that, or his argument is that uh, that he ended up getting arrested because uh, unwittingly, unbeknownst to him, that. The, the information that he was sharing uh, about his experiences in North Korea were ended up being shared with uh, um, and Allied Intelligence Services and CSIS, and that um, he, he argues, his lawyers argued, that the, the, there was uh, Mr. Kovrig's uh, 
communications was somewhat careless and then allowed the Chinese to to find out that he was sharing this kind of information. So he's asking for a, a significant amount of money, multi-million dollars, I'm told, because he feels that his arrest and incarceration for almost three years was was um, the fault of the Canadian government and Mr. Colbert. Okay, so what is Kovig's role? Like, like you say, we, we know where he worked, and we know the ties that they have to intelligence gathering uh, within the Allies. Um, th- but the government has always said he wasn't involved in espionage. The charges against him were fabricated by the Chinese government. Was Kovig, in fact, working as a spy, arm's length maybe, for the Canadian government? No. Um, he wasn't a spy. He didn't do clandestine and covert work. Um, this um, job that he did, it kind of gets close to the line. Yeah. It's, um, but it, it, it doesn't cross into um, espionage, but that's not how the Chinese would see it. They do regard these officers as spies because they go around, they go to Sanjin area where the Uyghurs are, they go into Tibet, they go to areas uh, and they they don't like that. These guys don't hang around embassy cocktail parties and pick up gossip. They actually go out and meet people um, like Spavo or, or they go to uh, areas where uh, there are labor camps and stuff like that. So from the Chinese point of view, they see these people as spies. Um, they aren't spies, a lot from the viewpoint of the Canadian government. But, I mean, it's also clear that they do get close to the line, but they don't, they do not recruit, pay, or, or, or run sources, or human sources. Gotcha, okay. So but the problem we have with this program is that unlike um, CSIS and, and unlike the uh, Canadian Security, uh, Canadian Communication Security Establishment, which is our signals intelligence and cyber um, fighting outfit, like they're subjected to uh, very rigorous legislative and uh, and review processes. This group doesn't seems to seems to be no rules. Like we we've asked, like what are what are the how does this place yeah. how does it operate? How do your agents or how do these not agents but how do these officers operate? And you know who who oversees them? Uh, for example, the National Security Intelligence Review Board did a review of them, which they don't normally do, but they did a review of this uh, organization uh, three years ago, and they still haven't published the findings on it. They say, well, we're redacting it. Three years to redact a report on this makes me think that there's probably something, a lot of stuff in that report that's very troublesome. So will this move that forward? Like you say, I mean, the Canadian government has always said that the charges from the Chinese government were, you know, fabricated, but it sounds like at least there was a basis what, what China was charging. Like maybe they view it differently than Canada does, but at the same time, you know, there was yeah. there was a bit of something there. But what does this say about what the Canadian government's position has been all the way through that this was, you know, a, a complete, just a, re, a retaliatory move from the Chinese government and there was there was nothing to the charges? Well, I, mean, I, I do think we have to be clear here that the China China arrested these two men that uh, uh, was in complete was in retaliation for the detention of the Huawei senior executive Meng uh, Wanzhou, yep. whose father uh, founded Huawei as a good friend of the Chinese president Xi Jinping. So they clearly went, and this was hostage taking. They went and picked them up. Okay, but there were three hundred thousand Canadians in China at the time, 
and they picked these two guys up. So they must have felt that they had something that would have been able to say to the Canadian government, well, we think they were, these people were spies. So they had, they must have had something, and, and that's what the Chinese government is arguing. So they just didn't pick two random Canadians, which is the way the Canadian government has been saying it. Exactly. I think from what we, I think from what we now understand, that this just wasn't a random picking up. That they had their eyes on these two people for some time, and it was convenient for them to sweep them up uh, in the aftermath of the Long Run's old detention. Yeah, a lot more to the story than we first knew. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for your time, as always. Appreciate you being here. You're welcome.